Come on, people. What shoe are you running in? What do you think of it? We need you to review your shoe. Our kick ass. Betterrunningshoes.com review site. Betterrunningshoes.com. We're almost at a thousand shoe reviews this week, this month. We need more. Welcome everyone to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Middle of December, we're still cranking out an episode for you because we love you. World Athletics has named its Athlete of the Year, excuse me, Athletes of the Year, and there's some controversy. Noah Lyles has some thoughts. Yared Nagus wins yet another mile, this time out in Hawaii, and we saw a tremendous battle of the teen phenoms at the European Cross Country Championships in Belgium. Axel Van Christiansen taking down Niels Laros, the future of distance running, is broken. Plus, CJ Albertson runs a 2.11 marathon for the second week in a row. Does Great Britain have a 21-year-old cross-country runner who's even better than Parker Valby? Three Japanese men break their 10K national record in the same race. The Dopa Ruth Jabet is back, this time in the marathon, and a whole lot more. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by Robert and Weldon Johnson, my bosses, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, co-hosts of this podcast. Weldon's Dallas Cowboys are moving up the list and maybe Super Bowl favorites soon enough. It's a good week to talk. Guys, how you doing? Always thrilled to be here on the best podcast on planet Earth. We want to hear from you. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, give us a call. We have a phone number, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I don't think it's ever been announced, but we have multiple millions of listeners on this podcast. It's official. I, I never bother to go and look at the analytics, but I did the other day. And Wait, what do you mean multiple million? million? Like multiple million since the start of this show four years ago, multiple million this year, multiple million per week. I think that's overstating our audience a little bit. Can you get specific? As a journalist, Robert, I got to ask these questions, get the context. And as someone who one day, someday, uh, who one day, uh, as someone who one day wants to run for political office, my job is to ignore the question and not answer it. Just multiple millions, John. I mean, make the advertisers think it could be per week, per episode. It's not per week, per episode, but it's in its totality, certainly, in this case. Okay, so that's probably double counting some people, but that's that's what everyone does with all these things, right? So, Not double counting. It's Pinecast certified. I looked it up. It was more than 2 million. Right. I don't know how long that goes back. Okay, one other thing before we get to running content. I did bring that Cowboys thing up because... There's a very real possibility, guys, in two months, your favorite teams could be squaring off in the Super Bowl. The Baltimore Ravens, who Weldon, who Robert now roots for after abandoning his hometown Cowboys, are the number one seed in the AFC. The Dallas Cowboys, not the number one seed in the NFC, but appear to be hitting their stride at the right time. What's going to happen if these two teams play in the Super Bowl? Will Let's Run.com be going to Vegas? For this matchup, will it be a civil war? I'm very interested to see. I kind of want 
the Super Bowl matchup to happen now, now that the Patriots are officially eliminated. John, don't count your chickens before they hatch. But if the Cowboys do make a Super Bowl, we win Super Bowls. I mean, that's how it works. So not really much of a concern with that one. Well, five, five and three in the Super Bowl. So you've lost some too. Not recently. <laughs> I mean, you haven't been in a Super Bowl recently. There's not much of a track record. The ones we've been in, John, recently. The, the, the most well, rec- you haven't been in any recent Super Bowls is what I'm saying. I believe we won three in a row. That that's never happened. No team's ever won three Super Bowls in a row. And again, you're using a very loose definition of the word recently. Like, Grant Fisher has never been alive for a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl victory. Alicia Monson, Yard Nagus, Yakubinga Brickson, none of these people know what it feels like to live in a world where the Cowboys are Super Bowl champions. So I, I would argue 30 years ago isn't recent. I'm already starting to imagine these doomsday scenarios. The year I finally gave up on the Cowboys, I was so wrong. I thought that the offense would be terrible. They got rid of the coordinator, and now they're better than ever. But I'm seeing something even worse happening to me. Ravens losing to the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. The Ravens losing to Joe Flacco in the playoffs. My God. But it's a week-to-week league. We don't want to bore people, but the hottest team in football is the Denver Broncos. They've won six of seven games. They have four cupcake games. They're going to go 10-1 and one into the playoffs after losing, giving up 70 points in the middle of the season. Wild. Anyways, let's talk track and field. I think you want to talk, John, about this World Athletics controversy. I want to talk about what we talked about on Friday. I, if you missed Friday's show, if you're not a Supporters Club member, shame on you. It was my favorite podcast of, of all time. I was so excited for this show, and then it lived up to the hype. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Robert. It was quite interesting talking about our favorite thing, the men's 1500. Josh Kerr went on the Sunday podcast a couple of weeks ago, made some comments about Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Sure, we'll address them again later in this episode. We also talked about some salaries. We found out what Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Carsten Warhol made in 2022. Robert, his Norwegian newspaper subscriptions are paying off because in Norway, they have a tax list and every citizen, you can find a database how much income they made and how many tax, how much taxes they paid that year. Norwegian media publishes this list. Robert found it. So great discussion about that. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You can go back and listen to that. Listen to the whole archive. Very fun show. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I wanted to start with the World Athletics Athlete of the Year Award. We're in this period of the year where there isn't going to be much racing left. We had Footlockers Eurocross last weekend. We had the Merry Mile in Hawaii, but... Not really a lot to talk about for the remaining couple weeks of 2023. But there is the Athlete of the Year Award, and I was very interested to see who won this thing this year because it, we had some really standout performances. Noah Lyles wins triple gold, 100-200, 4x1 at the Worlds. No man had done that at the World Championship since 2015, Usain Bolt. Kelvin Kiptum runs 201 course record in London, breaks the world record in Chicago. Mondo Duplantis won a, broke a couple world records again. Ryan Krauser broke the world record, then had the second best throw in history 
at the world championships while competing with two blood clots in his leg. So I was like, man, this is a stacked field of contenders. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to go home devastated. And what does World Athletics do? I get an email on Monday. They've split this award in three. Instead of giving out one men's athlete of the year and one women's athlete of the year, they say, we're actually going men's track, men's field, men's out of stadia, which I've taken to just mean road running events, basically, and race walk. And then women's track, women's field, women's out of stadia. So I look at this, I'm just, it feels like a cop out to me. So Noah Lyles wins for the track events. Kelvin Kipton wins for the road events. Mondo Duplantis wins for field events. Ryan Krauser still doesn't get a victory. A lot of people thought he was the should have been the overall winner. But the process they followed to, for me is ludicrous here. World Athletics, they name 10 finalists. They do this in October when three months of the year are remaining. Then they whittle it down to five. They have voting and everything. You know, they have a fan vote, an expert vote, all of this stuff. And then they just say, oh, it was such a great competition this year. So many good performances. We're just going to ignore the voting and split it into three awards. And the athletes in question don't even know this is happening. Noah Lyles goes to the ceremony and he gives his interview afterwards saying he didn't even realize there were going to be three different awards until they announced it. So this feels like a cop-out to me. How do you guys see it? You guys are lucky. I don't have my stream deck here to play my sound effects. Rojo rant. Repeat after me. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a gold medal. We've had this nonsense where it's been celebrated when people share the goddamn gold medal. And now we're, we're, we're just double downing on double downing on, on stupidity. This is wrong. And to not even announce it ahead of time. By the way, why don't we go to Monaco? This sounds like we, we should have this as a big event. Monaco is a wonderful place. We should go every year be feted, then we'll be respected by World Athletics if we show up and go to their galas. Not that we're not already respected by them, but no. You you give out, so there's six, right? Who are the three women? We haven't mentioned their names, but Yeah, the three, so I was going to get to that in a minute because the women, there was a very clear winner for the overall award this year. It should have been Faith Kip Yagon. She had one of the greatest seasons in track and field history. Broke world records in the 1,500-mile 5K. Won the 1,500 and 5K at the World Championships. She had one of the greatest years I've ever seen by any athlete. She won the track award. Yulmar Rojas won the field award. And then Tigas de Sefa, who broke the marathon world record in Berlin, ran competed one time in all of 2023. She won the out of stadia awards. So those were the female winners. Over Sifan Hassan. We'll talk about that in a minute. But no, the, the way they should do this is simple. It's like baseball. You have your Cy Young award winner, and then you have your gold glove winners, but you have an MVP. And more often than not, the MVP is probably going to go to a track runner as compared to a field eventer and whatnot. I get it because track and field really is a collection of a wide variety of sports. I mean, really, there's like 18 or 19 sports. You know, it's very hard for us as journalists to be able to meet when it's all finals on like the final day of NCAAs because there's like 10 different sporting events going on at once. But three main disciplines, 
well, two really, track and field. But if you can talk road separate, why? You should have your individual winners. And then you go to the grand finale. Who, who, who wins the whole thing? And for me, it would not have been Noah Lyles. He had a great year, but it's not a historic year. Kelvin kept him. To me, that was insane. Like he broke the, the London, the fabled London courts record on a day when everybody else was running slow. He was super fast. And then he runs two flat 35, destroying people. He was miles better than everybody else in the marathon. Noah Lyles was not miles better than everybody else in sprinting. So Kelvin Kipton is the Robert Johnson Athlete of the Year, just for the official. Um, in case you were wondering. I mean, I I would have Krauser ranked ahead of Kipton. John, th- this isn't a feel-good story. Because, uh, what do you mean? It's not a feel-good story. He broke the world record. He threw 23.56, 23.07, 23.51. He lost one meet all year. It was the Diamond League final. Through, I mean, his... He had an indoor throw that was 2338. It wasn't really measured. There was kind of a controversy there. But, like, this guy, I think you've become a newer to his greatness. He just throws over 22 meters every week, and we just assume, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Krauser doing it again. No, this is, like, historic stuff he's doing. And I know you could say, oh, it's hard to have a better year than Kiptum had in the marathon, but it's hard to have a better year than Krauser had in the shot put. And... I would also say when it's that close between some of these athletes, I mean, I do give him credit to, for going to Worlds and gutting it out. That 23.51 competing with the blood clots, that's, that's one of the most incredible things I've seen in this sport. So I, I do kind of give that to him as a tiebreaker. But the other thing is, I also wouldn't have been that, I wouldn't have been that upset if it went to Lyles. Winning the 100, 200, 4 by one that's the biggest thing in our event. Like he was the athlete of the meet at the world championships. So he's like finals MVP basically in basketball. And the hundred is the most competitive of, I would say that is the event. Mo- more people try around the world than any of them. It's it's probably the hardest event to win in track and field, just because there are more people gunning for it. More people try to run the hundred. It's the marquee event of the entire sport. So to do that and double up, triple up, in fact, you know, every time Bolt did this, basically he won the world, the athlete of the year, except for 2015. He did it in 11, sorry, 08, 09, 11, 12, 13, and 16. And he won athlete of the year every single year. Now, maybe that was just, they wanted to get Bolt to show up to the award ceremony, but I do give a little bit more importance to winning the hundred and tripling than a tradition, than most other events. That's fine. John, I mean, it's a higher profile fan. I'm willing to give a little bit more credibility to that, but it's not as, that's not as impressive to me as what Kipton did or Krauser. You make a good point for Krauser. Krauser certainly, in my opinion, should have won it over Mondo for field events. Like, I just think he had a better year overall. But Noah Lyles lost four races on the year, and when you lose to a high school in a race, you're not my athlete of the year. I can accept that. I do think your solution here having three awards than the overall award is a good one because look, it is, we're having this argument right now. It's very hard to compare athletes across events. You know, a marathon races twice a year. Some of these other guys can race. Noah Lyles, when he ran the hundred, he raced twice that day to win the world championship semis and finals. So, 
But that's kind of what makes it fun, right? We have these arguments. We say who's better. Like the NFL MVP, that's a huge debate. Should it be Brock Purdy, who's on this team of superstars? Is it Tyreek Hill, who's having a historic season? Like, you can't. Brock Purdy and Tyreek Hill, they play different positions, you know? They play the same sport, but it's fun to compare them. So I think it's kind of, it's pretty lame that World Athletics did it. And the way they did it, I mean, they say we're voting for this award and then the votes come in and they're like, oh, actually, we don't like how this turned out. There are a few people who raised some issues. So we're just changing the whole process of how we award it. You lose credibility when you do that. Was it a fan vote? That was part of it. First of all, it shouldn't be a fan vote. This needs to be experts voting on it and and not... Oh, gosh, here we go. What do you mean? Of course you let the fans vote. Do you guys have... I have a vote. I'm like the Hall of Fame guy who doesn't vote. I don't think I voted. John doesn't get a vote? Like John's like the number one journalist in track and field. No vote? I did get a vote for the USATF's Athletes of the Year Award. I got a media vote for that. I did not get a media vote for this. But yeah, it says... There were votes from athletes, fans, and World Athletics family members. Um, And this is what World Athletics said in their release, in their press release. So when it came to compiling the votes, athletes, fans, and World Athletics family members commented that it was incredibly hard to limit the vote to just one athlete because of the various disciplines and the vast differences and skill sets required. Well, guess what? That happens every single year when they hand out this award. That isn't exactly a new development. And it's not clear if this award has become three parts permanently if it was just a one-year exception sebco said the depth depth of talent and the outstanding performances in our sport this year more than justify the expansion of the world athletics awards to recognize the accomplishments by these six athletes across no. the range of disciplines that's his explanation maybe on the men's side it was hard what was hard about the women's side okay 211 women's marathon is sick but i'm not giving you athlete of the year when you run one time all all season period. I'm just not doing it. Like you'd be ineligible because you didn't compete enough. Like if you're a baseball player and you played only the seventh game of the world series, I wouldn't care if you hit 10 grand slams, you're not going to be my MVP. Now I know MVP in baseball doesn't count the postseason, but whatever. But Faith Kipiagon clearly should have won. So just be, maybe I would have been okay if it's like, okay, it's an unprecedented tie. It's historic, whatever. But can you imagine if this happened in a, in a legitimate sport? Well, in America here, we had the Heisman Trophy ceremony last weekend where the top collegiate football player is named. Imagine they just said, you know what? All you guys are great. You all win it. Oh, my God. They've already started this, and we've already praised it. I assume this is the woke insanity that we've seen at the Olympics the last couple times in worlds where these people are sharing gold medals, and they got universally praised. Well, not universally praised because I didn't praise them, but they were praised and – the you know Good Morning America type shows where we're talking about how wonderful it is. We're all winners. And I'll admit, when I play sports with my son, he always wins. And it bothers me. Recently, I've started scoring some more goals. I was playing him and his buddy in soccer the other day. And they were kind of, one of them was fouling me. And I said, hey, you guys can't do that. And then one of them said, his friend's like, but you're better than us. Well, that's just the reality. Sometimes people are better than you. I mean, I'm not sure if I fully go into your whole woke splitting gold medals thing. And also listening to Katie Moon after the pole vault, how they're you know, getting so tired at the end of the event and the bar has to keep getting lower and lower probably. That's what she thinks is going to happen in a jump off. I can kind of get the rationale after hearing that. But no, in this case... Take a break and just, come back the next day then. It'd be great TV. Well, actually, that would be that would be pretty interesting. The more I think about this... 
there's just different awards, but we need one athlete of the year. Pick a winner. And I just forwarded the email, the voting to you guys. Make sure you didn't get it. Some like Qualtrics survey. I never took it too seriously, but now I got it from next year. I promise I will announce my vote. Thank you, World Athletics. I didn't realize I was shirking some big responsibility here. I'm sure if I had voted, they would have just gone with whoever I voted with. But okay. Noah Lyles. I thought, oh, he has to be the MVP. I was there at Worlds. It was like a private moment between like me, him, Mondo, and about four other journalists. I mean, everybody was gone. They just happened to go by. And they're like, you demand. And they're like, and Noah says that. And then Mondo's like, no, you demand. And then they were sort of arguing. And I think Noah Lyles, he was the MVP of the World Championships. No questions asked. But you guys are making strong arguments for Krauser. I don't think Mondo. Johnson O. Krauser's never done this. Well, it's 2021 season. He's undefeated and broke the world record a bunch of times, or at least once. I mean, he's throwing further now with this new technique, but we've sort of seen there and done this. So I don't really have a problem with somebody voting for Noah Lyles for athlete of the year. The marathon is such a different thing, but Kelvin Kiptum did run twice. But let's just let everybody vote, tally the votes, declare a winner. I mean, that was the system we were operating on until World Athletics just changed the rules at the last second. The Krauser thing, though, well, actually, that even makes my point more. Ryan Krauser mastered the shot put, basically became the greatest ever, broke the world record, and then he decided, actually, I can just do this entirely better, so I'm going to just make up a new technique. And he made up that technique and now is throwing even farther than anyone else in history. Like... It's it's absolutely ridiculous what he did this year. He's he's such an amazing athlete. But the other thing, this award meant something to Noah Lyles. Well done. When he was talking to you and talking to Mondo, I thought it was very interesting because Andre DeGrasse said this was Noah's championships and he was right. He was the best guy in Budapest across all events. And he said one of his motivations for pursuing the triple was, and I'll quote here, I lost athlete of the year to that guy right there. And that's why I lost, because he's the man. He was talking to Mondo. And then he says, I made sure that I am going to win Athlete of the Year. I didn't take one gold or two gold. I had to take three. This award means something to Noah. And if you saw his interview afterwards, he wasn't thrilled with this idea. It kind of threw him that this suddenly he thought he was competing for one award, and there's three. And I'll just quote what he says here. Give me a few weeks, then I'll be able to actually break down what I think of what happened today. Because on one hand, I agree with the idea. I just wish we knew that this was what was going to happen instead of having it happen after the five finalists were already chosen. We were all led to believe we were fighting for the same trophy. Very shocking, big plot twist for sure. So he said it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel like. And the other thing is they announced 11 finalists for this award back in October. Safan Hassan was not one of them on the women's side, which again is is ridiculous. The argument that she's not one of the top 11 athletes in the world on the women's side this year after two medals in Budapest and major marathon wins either side of it, that's also crazy because you she has a strong case for number two behind Kip Yagon this year. Well, maybe there's some silver lining to this, John. In less than one year, when we all wake up on... The morning of November 6th, 2024. 
John's eyes just got big. I'm very worried how this sentence is going to end. And they announced that they couldn't determine a winner. It was just too tight. There was too many great candidates. And both Joe Biden and Donald Trump will be your president. They'll just share it. It'll bring the country together. We'll celebrate in the greatness that we are. John, I, I, I won't go politics, but John Kellogg just heard me say, and he said, we get the, boast, the worst of both worlds with that. I'm disturbed that either one of those men might be our president. That's all I'm going to say. Let's talk track before I have a heart attack. I, I don't think that's too controversial an opinion, Robert. Even among Democrats and Republicans, I think a lot of people look at that and like, wait, these two old guys again? But I think John should run. John, Everyone root for Jonathan Galt. You have, I mean, no offense, John, you have old guy hair, so the older demographic can relate to you. And then the young people, you don't know the hip hop, and you just hung out with Taylor Swift in Kansas City and went to the Chiefs game, and you did all the fun things that the young kids are doing. So, Unfortunately, oh, not I'm not eligible, enough, Robert. Oh, yeah, I'm only 32 years old, so uh, I can't and be president And you weren't born in yet. this country either. Well, I, no, the Ted Cruz rule says I can be president. I was a natural-born citizen. I was born in the UK, but I was a citizen from birth because my mom's a American, so... I could be president if I wanted to. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about some more controversy? But this was controversy that came up on Friday's podcast. Josh Kerr went on the Sunday podcast, which is, I think, a British podcast of some sort, over a month ago, early November. How this state secret for over a month shows you how unpopular our sport isn't some of these podcasts are, but we found it, folks. We've hyped it up. It's now gone viral all over the internet. He had some interesting comments. I mean, I think they were, he was speaking honestly, but he said that, you know, when you really look at it, Jakob Bingerbinton doesn't win many non-paced races. And, but he was just getting started. He says he's got major weaknesses, and if he doesn't correct them, he's going to not win the gold medal in 2024. And then he, probably, he doesn't think that he does realize that he has them because his ego is pretty high and he's surrounded by a lot of yes men. And to chop it all off, if that wasn't enough, he just threw some more gasoline and says, I hope he's listening to this. So I think we made sure that he listens to it. We know that he's listened to the show before, Jakob has. So hopefully it's good with us amplifying it. He's seen it. I like the trash talk. We debated it at length on Friday, but I want to debate it some more here because there was one thing I think we left out. And there's a great message board thread about this. And the message boarders were saying, Kerr doesn't like how Jakob referred to him after when, when Jakob got silver, Kerr wins gold. They asked him, you know, are you motivated to beat Kerr the rest of the season? And, he, and Jakob was basically like, no, he's just the next man up. Or what was the actual term, John? The next guy. So a lot of the message board commenters thought that Kerr was like offended by this and was getting back at Jakob. Is that how you saw it, John? I mean, in the back of his mind, that may have played a role, but I, I think Josh Kerr is generally just speaks his mind. He's pretty honest. He'll share his opinions on things. I think that's what makes him great. It's I enjoy talking to him. It makes him good for the sport. And I also don't think that I think what he said on the Sunday blog podcast, I think most of it was true. I mean, look, if you're saying he doesn't win a lot of non-paced races, 
Well, you're just holding him to a very high bar because there are very few of those per year. He does win Euros when he shows up. He has not won the last three global finals in the 1500, World Indoors, World Outdoors, World Outdoors, but he got second in all those races. It's hard to win those races. But again, if that's your criticism of him, that he dominates on the circuit all year long and then has lost in the biggest race of the year, that that's accurate. Was that coming from the comments he shared that Jakob made after the Budapest? I couldn't say for sure. May have played into things, but I think Josh was very open about this in Budapest. He said, remember, Josh showed up to the 2022 Worlds and he was talking a big game, looked great in the rounds, and was then kind of humbled in the final and only finished fifth. And when he saw Jakob showboating in the semifinal, or I guess it was on the screen because Josh was ahead of him for some of that part of the race, he viewed that as perhaps trying to mask some insecurities that Jakob had, that he was trying to make a statement. And was that the case? I don't know. Jakob didn't really totally open up on that, but Josh calls it like he sees it. And that's what he was saying in this situation. And I, I respect him for doing that. I think his statement about, about the non-paced races is true, but the, the rest of it is nonsense. I like, he doesn't know that he has major weaknesses. I, I, I think, and the message board seems to agree He's very well aware of the fact that he can get out kicked. And I mean, <laughs> how could he not be? And a lot of the other comments on the message board are the, the most liked post on, on Let's Run. This is one of the most amazing ratios ever 379 upvotes, five downvotes. Josh Kerr talking about other people's big egos. That made me chuckle. So there's nothing wrong with being confident. Weldon always says you have to be confident to be great. He was saying that on last week's show. But by the way, Parker Valby's not confident, and she's great. So that's a ding on you, Weldon. But not only do I think what Josh is saying isn't true, I, I think it can't be true. And, and this is my favorite quote from an unregistered user on the message board who wrote this. Middle distance running is too honest for quote-unquote yes men to be of any worry. It's an issue in team sports where over-the-top players are deluded into thinking they've still got it because their entourages are 100% yes men. For someone like Jakob, losing hurts way more than winning feels good, so he'll be all right and on track. Well, yeah, on Friday's show, I mentioned this. Josh is saying, oh, he doesn't recognize he has weaknesses. I don't know if that's totally accurate. But I would say, like, it's not exactly easy to fix those weaknesses. Everyone has their own sort of skill sets, and you can train yourself to try to become a better ticker and i think Jakob still has a pretty good change of gears we saw at the end of these diamond league races but one argument would be oh he should change his tactics because he keeps getting out kicked running from the front he needs to try to run from behind well he still finished second in all those races what if he tries to run from behind and let it lets the race go out slower which it probably isn't going to be slow because Abel Kip saying usually makes these things fast anyway. There are going to be other people who are probably going to want, want to run fast. But if Jakob tries to play a more tactical race and come from behind and he gets fifth, then people are going to trash him and say, why didn't he run the way he always runs? I think he runs from the front because he knows his greatest chance of success is forcing a fast pace and burning people off in the last 400 or 800. So that's probably what I think he's probably going to continue to run that way because he views it as his best chance of success. 
Josh says Jakob doesn't know his weaknesses. You could easily just turn this around and say Jakob knows his strengths. You want to come down to a sit and kick race? No, pushing the pace is his strength. Now, he may try to fine-tune this, maybe not lead from the full 1,500 meters. Maybe push the last 1,100. Maybe there's different ways to go about this. But it's why we love the 1,500. We can talk about this all the time. It's so exciting. Both these guys, I love them. I love their cockiness. I love their confidence. But, guys, the real question. Robert brought it up in the post of the week by Yoss. Robert mentioned it. Josh Kerr talking about other people's big egos. That made me chuckle. A lot of Jakob defenders on YouTube comments as well. But 370 upvote at eight upvotes, five downvotes. That's your post of the week. Yes, you get a let's run.com t-shirt. But the real question is, guys, who has the bigger ego? Josh Kerr or Jakob Ingerbitson? Well, I think it's Jakob, but guess what? One's the Olympic champion and one's the world champion in the 1500 meters, one of the glory events. You're allowed to have an ego. It's actually great for the sport. And guess what? These guys have the medals to back it up. It's not like these guys are talking. They haven't accomplished anything. They've won one of the hardest races to win in the sport. So you're allowed to have an ego when you're that good. I was going to go the other direction, John. Yeah, if you're the world something, like, and you just talk confidently, people say you're cocky. But I think if we rank, and people are going, Josh Kerr got lucky in a sit-and-kick race. It wasn't a sit-and-kick race. The Rakeys hasn't won anything else. And I'm like, Wait, who who's, who's actually saying that? That sounds like a straw man. Who's saying Josh Kerr got lucky in a sit-and-kick race? I have not heard people say that about him. Well, then. Just read a comment. I just read a comment about it. And then they said, Well, oh, then I don't respect else. that person's opinion of track and field. Fans love this. They're eating this up. Lots of comments. Like, Let's run.com where fans can be fans. Like, I think it's great that there's a rivalry that I think Josh did this strategically. It's in his best interest 100% for Jakob to be thinking about the Olympics, to thinking how he doesn't run well in those type of races. Put a little more pressure on him. I guess you could argue, well, Josh should have kept his mouth shut because now Jakob's going to come up with a slightly different strategy and smoke him. If you haven't seen the clips, we've got videos from the podcast. We're going to link to our YouTube video in the show notes. So check it out. We also have a clip up on Twitter. By the way, if you haven't got a Christmas gift for your friends and family, it's not too late to give a gift of Let's Run. Give them a t-shirt. If you don't want to go to the supporters club, the t-shirts are so soft. The best is the long sleeve. My uncle's not even a runner. He just bought over $100 worth of shirts because he likes to sleep in them. Shop.letsrun.com. Shop.letsrun.com. I don't think it's a smart move by Kerr, by Kerr Weldon. Why do you want to poke the bear? And it's not that Inger Britton's not going to be motivated for the Olympics, but he's putting a target. The target he's putting on is himself. And he talked a big game in... Was it Tokyo or Eugene, John? Eugene. Yeah. Didn't work out so well. well guess what? He's the world champion, and he beat Ingebrigtsen last year in Budapest. He's going to have a huge target on his back anyway. I'm just more worried about Ingebrigtsen's health. He had a, last time we heard, he had a sacrum injury. He did not run European cross. He always wins European cross. 
Sacrum sounds serious to me. It's gonna, I'm going to be so bummed out if he doesn't get to run in the Olympics. I'm looking forward to this one race, I think, as much as I am all the other distance races combined. Like, seriously, let's think about what other matchups are we super excited about. Or should we save that for another show? Like, a couple of weeks when there's nothing going on. I yeah. think we should save it, actually. Let's save that for 2024. We'll start with what we're looking forward to. Too. The other thing that came out on last week's show was, well, it was, it was an amazing piece of podcast entertainment. I told you guys I knew how much Jakob Ingebrigtsen made, earned, and Weldon got mad and said, stop this. I don't like this speculation. It's unprofessional. And then I revealed the Norwegian tax list. I had you guys Google to make sure that you realized what I was doing and made you guys guess how much you thought Jakob Ingebrigtsen made. I think both of you thought he would make more than what he did. Supported income for 2022 was like $1.03 million. Now that's after deductions, but before tax. Paid like $400,000 in tax. So the more we all think about this, you're probably going to have an agent commission of 15%. So if he's got a million-dollar Nike contract, that's going to be $150,000. And then he's got expenses. When he goes to altitude camp, that could be $50,000, physio, et cetera. I imagine he's paying his brothers a decent salary to coach him, maybe $7,500,000 there. So I'm not sure he does. I mean, they say it's sort of collaborative. I feel like Jakob, some people are like, oh, Henrik coaches Jakob. I mean, that's not really how it works. They kind of work together. And those guys have their own Nike contracts. So maybe when those contracts run out, Jakob might help support them, but I'm not convinced that he's doing it right now. But it's probably more in the neighborhood of $1.5 million. But I think in Carson Warholm was a little bit less, $900,000. And I, I think that the, the quote of the week or the comment of the week, I, don't, I forgot who came up with it, was Max Siegel makes more than these two guys? That's disgraceful. Yeah, something's wrong with the sport of Max Siegel makes more than Jakob Ingebrigtsen. But, hell, I guess Roger Goodell makes more than, I think, every NFL player. But the NFL has a very high trajectory of growth. <laughs> Haven't seen a lot under Max. But... I'm sort of shocked. John, you reached out to some agents because I said, I want you to pull them and ask them what you thought he was making. What'd they tell you? John asked them how much he th they thought Yaki was making and also how much he thought Caitlin Tui was making. So tell us the revolts for both, both, John. Yeah, I didn't hear back. There was only one agent gave specific guess about Jakob and Warholm. And they said 1.5 million for Jakob, 1.2 million for Warholm. So not that far off, but then I kind of told the I told the agent the actual numbers that were reported, and he just said in general European contracts aren't as big as American contracts. So that makes sense. And then the one another agent I told him the numbers, and he thought Jakob would make a little more than he actually did. So again, maybe once we add in the stuff that he's deducting, it is closer to that one point five million number that we were thinking 1.3 million you know who, who knows exactly then the other question was about Tui and three agents got back to me on that one one of them said 500,000 a year the other two said 400,000 a year was their guess of what she 
got in her Adidas contract that she signed last week. None of these agents, obviously, are Ray Flynn, who represents Caitlin Tui. He did not make a guess. But for the record, the three of us think it's over 500,000. No, we don't. We just, what, are you, what are you talking about? John just pulled agents who know way more than you, and you think we think it's more than that? I think I, I have reason to believe trust agents who are in this industry way more than some something you hear. That's crazy to me. Well, it's not just something we heard. This is from a source who's been pretty reliable in the past, thought it was $600,000 a year, not an agent. So Robert didn't pull that number out of thin air. Anyways, these numbers, the more I think about them, aren't that shocking. I, mean, I guess inflation is up a lot, but I was heard her waiting was pulling in Andrew waiting after that 330, $750,000, $800,000 a year. I once looked up his house in Boulder. It's like several million dollars. And we kind of thought Central Woods might, I mean, he wins Olympic gold. Maybe he's just over a million. Like uh, the average distance runners, we, we heard Hobbs Kessler was getting like some ridiculous deal, like 10 years, 600,000 or something like that. You know, Drew Hunter, like, did I hear 10 and 400,000? Anyways, there's some sort of like, cap at what you're going to be making unless you've already like a superstar like Shakari Richardson and have broken through and then you win Olympic gold it's going to be a bonus on top of that but it's not going to like go up to 10 million or 5 million or something like that but and it's going to be less in Europe for a simple reason Norway is a very small country I think I said this to John pre-show I don't know if Weldon was listening guess how many people live in Norway God, it was shocking. It was like 4.5 million or something. It's like 5 million people. And when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, why would you pay Hobbs Kessler more than Caitlin Tui at a high school? But then I thought, well, this makes sense. What's the ultimate upside for a Kessler versus what's the ultimate upside for a Tui? Olympic gold for Kessler. It's maybe a medal for Tui at the Olympics. It's based on the U.S.'s track record in those events. The other thing is, Hobbs Kessler, I know the NCAA record is faster now, but he was basically running, as a high schooler, the fastest times ever we've seen by a collegian. He ran 334 as a high schooler when the collegiate record was about 334 for 1,500. So he was signing when he was younger, three years younger than Tui, and he was in an event where the U.S. has historically had more success in terms of medals. Correct. a lot of times in life we think about financial decisions in the opposite direction. Like you get insurance to protect you against the worst case scenario. But the reason why Adidas throws out all these money for these teens is they're trying to get them, they may be overpaying, but they're, they're trying to get them underpay if it hits the best case scenario. And if Hobbs Kessler becomes the next Jim Ryan, then it was well worth it. But well, it's well worth it if there's not some huge escalation in the contract. That's the thing. Adidas strategy, I mean, obviously it must work for them, but like, it seems like you're definitely way overpaying at first in some ways. Maybe not now, too. She's got a big social media presence, but high school distance runners in the U.S., pretty hit or miss. So uh, you could wait, it seems like, wait a few years or try to get them on the upside, but maybe then it's too late. But when... 
You can get Jakob for a million dollars a year or 1.2 and you can get a Kaylin Tui for half that. What's the downside to waiting? Now, an American, if you, this shows the privilege of being an American, I guess. Because how much do you think Jakob would get if he was American? I mean, I, I'm just sort of shocked he doesn't get more than he does because he's he's very, mar- I think you can market that guy in America, but maybe not with the average guy. But with the, with the hardcore running fan, he speaks great English. I think you could market him, but. I think Jakob already has fans in America. I mean, for a Norwegian athlete, he's pretty popular among distance running fans. Obviously, it's not a massive market, but I think a lot of American running fans are Jakob fans. But God, if I was a, if I was an executive at, I guess you can't. And Nike has provided first refusal and stuff, but if I was an executive at like Under Armour, or Puma, fire my whole team and just sign Jakob. Well, Puma has Warhol. Puma has... And Mondo. Puma has a ton of athletes. Like, that's kind of crazy. Take Puma out of it, then. No All offense right. to mine. Since I'm not coaching the Under Armour Baltimore team, who would you rather have? All those athletes for $2 million or or, or, or uh, Ingerbitson for $2 million? I mean, all those athletes. That was Puma's strategy with Bolt. They basically... Didn't sponsor anyone outside of Bolt, but they had the most important guy. And I think that was the correct strategy. All right. Let's look ahead to the future. In eight or nine months, when Yaka has been exposed by Kerr's complete fraud, he's a has-been. We're looking for a new king of European distance running. Or maybe we'll already have it. Who will that be? Sure, it could be Whiteman or Kerr. Mario Garcia Romo. But we also thought it might be Let's Run Podcast listener, the kid that grew up driving around Europe with his parents listening to this very podcast, Niels Laros. If you don't know Laros, we had him on the show earlier in the, in the year, I think. He's 18 years of age. He's running. I don't know if he's just running for a medal at Worlds. He might have been running for the win. Faded to 10th. Has a 331, 25, 1500 meter PB, 144, 78, 800 PB, 1323 in the 5,000. Monster talent. Anyways, he was in the European cross country under 20 race over the weekend. Had the lead coming into the home stretch. He had broken another teen phenom. So, Vane Christensen, guy they've been talking about in the Let's Run Forum for years. But it was Van Christensen who kicked down the 1500 stud and wins it. I love this clip, John. I love this race. I was, since we hung out with Neil's parents in Budapest, since he is a fan of the show, I'm obviously a fan of his. But I thought it was great that Van Christensen won this race. He's, he is 19. He's like nine months older than Laros. But it proved one of my points. Talent doesn't go away. I mean, in case you don't know who the, this Danish Van Christensen guy is, he ran 759, 1344 at age 16. Also 842 in the steeple. Think of your steeple as your two-mile time, basically. 842 at 16. Then he ran 829 in the steeple at 17. But... 
he had been kind of doing nothing all year. There was a post on Let's Run saying that he was like not even running this summer. He was burned out, injured. I don't know. No track races. The DNF in Houston was his only track race. He ran a road 10K on October 21st. And now he wins this race. So I'm just excited to see like him come back from his struggles. Like it would have been a real shame if someone that talented just hung up the spikes. So good for him. Laurel sounds pissed that he lost. I'm sure he'll be back when you got the, that skill set. Doesn't I don't really care that he lost. But I'm excited for both these guys and, and can't wait to see what they do in 2023. If Van Christensen doesn't have a contract, I don't understand why this guy doesn't come to America for college. Like, I think it's a great system. I mean, he'd be contending. He'd be one of the top guys in the NCAA already. You beat Niels Laros in this race. You, I mean, Axel Van Christiansen's incredible. You also neglected to mention, Robert, he won Euro the Euro under-20 title in cross-country in 2021. So two years ago, when he was 17, he won that race. <laughs> That's pretty hard to do. He does it again out-kicking Laro, so he ran down a 144-331 guy at the end of this race. And it wasn't a long race. The winning time was just over 16 minutes. I don't know exactly what distance it was. Doesn't really matter. The course was also very muddy. But I love this event. I love Eurocross. The, some of the images from the start of this race were amazing. They had, like, cannons and stuff with orange paint or whatever, orange smoke. It looked just epic the start of the race. You had that, whatever the structure is with all the bulls in Brussels that was in the background of some of the images. And you get some big talents showing up and running this thing. Jakob would show up every year when he was healthy and run it. And now you've got Laros. You know, he's run a good 5K, but more of a mid-distance guy. He's running it. It's kind of the European equivalent of NCAA cross. And it's really fun. I've said last year when they had this event, I wish that the U.S. had something similar where pretty much all the best guys show up. And I'm kind of curious, you know, around this time of year and they get a hit out and we realize, hey, not everyone's in peak shape, but this is still a fun event. It kind of gets everyone talking. Yeah, I'd like to go. Yeah, Eurocross would be a fun event to cover one day. And I'm curious, looking at the calendar, World Athletics is now moved up the world cross country championships for 2026 when the u.s hosts in tallahassee usually world crosses at the end of march in 2026 it's going to be january 10th do you guys think that more americans will show up like we always hear from these spring marathoners oh i'm in the middle of a marathon build-up well in january you're not going to be in the middle of a marathon build-up anymore like do you think that'll change anything do you guys have any thoughts on world cross changing to being the second week of January. I wonder if they did it for the heat. It seems like a curious time to have it. In terms of Americans, nobody changed for something the first week of January. I feel like you might get less people. But people do the Houston half and are ready to go for that. So it's in America. I think that's I mean, enough. Yard and Goose ran 728 at the end of January last year. You do have some people who are in shape. I've always wanted it earlier in the year. You want to have two peaks a year, do it six months out from World Outdoors. End of March is too late for me. I liked it last year when it was a little bit earlier. So I, I'm for that. John wonders if we have anything. Well, we had a club cross last weekend. Just people just don't run it. 
So I don't know why we need, we don't need more events in track and field. We just need more events that matter. And I've published proposals to make all the diamond league meets matter. Haven't taken me up on my offer yet, but. But the, no, Eurocross does matter. That's the thing. Like it's an event, there's national pride. They give out medals. Many of the top guys run it. Is it as prestigious as world cross or is these, you know, world track championships? No, of course not. But it's an event that matters because the stars show no. up and they give out gold medals at the end. And it's a team competition. I was just saying, like, I wish in America we had, like, the Sound Cross, the World Athletics Gold event was the same thing as USATF Club Cross, which also was the same thing as the World Cross Qualifier. Th that Those three races should be one race. Now, we should give some shout-outs to the other winners in Brussels. Senior men's race went to Jan Schrub, the first Frenchman ever to win this title. Uh broke the string of victories by Jakob Ingebrigtsen because, as we said, Jakob was injured, did not compete. Women's race, total dominance. Norwegian did win that one. Caroline Bjorkeli-Grovdal, her third title. She won by 45 seconds. But, Robert, we haven't discussed this. I feel like you wanted to talk about the winner of the women's under-23 race. Is that right? Yes, but I want to say something about Grovdal. Life's not fair. This is a woman that ran 1431 in 2022. It was like eighth the world. It's revealed that she makes $33,000 a year in 2022. But now that's after writing off whatever expenses she had, running related expenses. But Caitlin Tui's making, what, 15 times that? At least 10 times that? Oh, the, the other thing about that race, Robert, the senior women's race, we need to give props to Fionnuala McCormick of Ireland. We always hear these people, oh, I, you know, in the middle of a marathon block, or I'm skipping U.S. cross for this or that, or travel, that sort of thing. Fionnuala McCormick, 39 years old, gave birth less than six months ago. One week before Eurocross, she ran 226.19 at the Valencia Marathon. So that hit the qualifying time. She's now qualified for her fifth Olympics. Does she just relax, enjoy the holidays? No. One week later, she comes back, runs Eurocross for Ireland, finishes fourth in the women's senior race at 39. Just going to give a shout out because that's awesome. But yeah, the young woman I wanted to speak to, same age as Parker Valby. Parker Valby's 21. This woman's 21. Sean, what's Parker Valby's 5,000 meter PB? 1456. This young woman's 5,000 meter PB is 1456. This woman has actually competed at Worlds. Has Parker Valby? Not yet. Yeah, there's not a lot of hype about her because you Brits, John, you guys are understated. Toot your own horns. This board explodes more about the next teen phenom in the U.S. than they do overseas, unless their name's Jakob Ingebrigtsen. But Megan Keith, she won the under-23 race at Euros. I, I don't think that's the right term, actually. She destroyed everybody. She won by a minute and 23 seconds. And then a Finland. I mean, you know, in a minute on a Finland is, you know, a decent runner. 10-12 in the steeple, 15-41, 5,000. She just got wrecked. 
because Keith has had an amazing year. Not only did she win this race, she won European juniors in the 5,000, but her improvement rate is insane. 1608 in 2021, 1553 last year, now 1456 this year. So I thought Robert was going to give a shout out to the Peninsula Distance Club. You guys ever heard of this? Which peninsula are we talking about? I think this is the San Francisco out there, that area, one of those peninsulas. They dominated the club championships on the women's side. 18 points. Almost a perfect score. One, two, four, five, six. We're way ahead of Hanson's Brooks. Might as well then do I mean do we have to nowadays? We have to acknowledge if we acknowledge the female winner, we have to acknowledge the men's winner. I think that's the spirit of the guy going on now with all these awards. The San Diego track club. But if if we're doing that, we might as well acknowledge right here. On the women's side, LRC Nebraska, 16th place. Who knew? We have an offshoot club in Nebraska. Actually, I looked it up. It's the Lincoln Running Club. But if you guys want to run under, we should we, we should create let's run offshoots and everything. Except Nebraska. Nebraska, they can stay Lincoln Running Club. Every LRC club will be the let's run.com running club. Remember a couple years ago, I did sign up a Let's Run Club so I could enter a team, but I didn't do it. By the way, Amina Matag, who is Dutch and was ninth at NCA Cross for Duke this year, she was only 13th in this 123 race. She was two minutes and eight seconds behind. Though I will say those... Performances don't translate perfectly because the fifth placer, Greta Karina Scout of Lithuania, she also runs in the NCAA for Cal Baptist. She was 17th at NCAA Cross and finished fifth in this race. Granted, she was still a minute and 41 seconds behind Megan Keith. So I think it would have been fun. Uh, would have been great to see valby versus megan keith i think they're pretty similar in ability and it would have been fun to see how they matched up in cross country maybe give the advantage to valby on an american course but you throw her on the in the mud in brussels i'd think i'd go with the brit well valby only beat the lithuanian by 44 seconds at ncaa's right but this was a longer race just to be fair Eurocross was like an 8K, I think. But John, she got beat by a minute and 41 seconds. Okay, then maybe Megan Keith has that. What I'm saying is it will be fun to see because they're both really good. Sure, exact. Hurry. Sign her for only a half a million. You'll be saving money. Although Britain, they don't have the same money. Nike doesn't pay them 20 million a year. They only pay them a small bit. All right, we're getting ever closer to the Olympic marathon trials. And one guy I think people are interested in because he does things a little bit differently is CJ Albertson. Seventh at the last trials in 2020. 210 marathon. But the thing about CJ, as we all know, is he can just crank races out one after another. And he won CIM. On December 3rd, Cal International Marathon, I think he ran 211.09 or 
you know, he ran under the replacement quota time for the U.S. Basically, if you're in the top three at the trials and you run under 211.30, you'll be on the Olympic team if the U.S. gets three spots, which they almost certainly will. He ran under that time, but CIM is not a World Athletics eligible course because it's too far downhill. So what does he do? Well, he goes out a week later and he runs another 211 marathon in Mexicali, Mexico, the Marathon Baja, California. He won that in 211.08, just seven days after winning CIM in 211. And what's interesting about this is he posted on Strava, he logs all his workouts and running on Strava. It said sprint finish W and a sub 211 at a World Athletics certified event. And then he showed a picture on of his World Athletics profile listing this race and the result there. But I, I now I hope this counts for CJ's sake that he didn't just run this thing for nothing. But I'm looking at the list of World Athletics certified standard distance and world rankings road races updated October 12, 2023. I do not see the Baja California Marathon on there. So I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this counts. Maybe he talked to someone before he entered, and he, he is sure. But I'm just saying, I, I'm still not certain if this is enough. Well, David Monty of Race Results Weekly says the course is World Athletics certified and record eligible. What I don't understand is why he did this race. You don't understand why he ran the Baja the Baja California Marathon. I assume it's to get the two eleven thirty time. Okay. Well, if that was your concern, why did you run a downhill race the week before? I don't know. It's CJ Albertson. He does these things for fun. He ran 211 in, in a marathon in Fresno on November 5th. Like, he'll, he'll just crank these things out for fun. Because if it's so easy to run 211, why are you worried about it? I guess it could be hot at the trials and USATF won't let you chase for some reason. It did make me wonder if this course was short. According to Mr. Monty, it's... Everybody needs to make their plans for the Olympic marathon trials, by the way. I can't believe, I mean, it's February 3rd? February 3rd. I mean, well, then we need to make plans. What are we going to do? The tr- they moved up the trial start time to 10 a.m. Clearly, they weren't thinking of Let's Run.com because you know what's also happening at 10 a.m. Eastern time on February 3rd, 2024? No. Brighton, Brighton Crystal versus Palace. Crystal Palace in the English Premier League. Wow. Also, it's my 33rd birthday. So do I just take the day off and say I'm watching Brighton beat the hated palace? No, I'm going I'm to be working. Don't worry, guys. You'll get all my analysis and interviews. But it's a big day for Let's Run, for John Galt, for the U.S. Marathoners. Screw this. Anyone in Orlando, my college roommate lives there. We need to have a party for John, a race party, party for John. We'll hire some like college kid to cover the race for us. We'll just have a party. It's what we're allowed to do once every four years. What? You want me to take the day? You, you don't want me to cover the Olympic marathon trials? It, I want to cover this thing. This is one of the best events in the sport. I wouldn't sit this thing out just because it's my birthday. Now, the Brighton game, it's unfortunate it's the same time. But come on. This is a race we talk about for, for four years. Of course, I'm going to be there. John, don't worry. We'll, if it's going to be over like 52 degrees, I'll start scream, we'll start screaming a week out that they got to move up that start time. That's a joke. John, before we hired you, we didn't have to cover all these events like journalists. I was more like Dave Portnoy of the running world. 
remember one year getting so intoxicated at the New York City Marathon. Anyways. Wait, during the race? I tried to do the gonzo journalism, John. I was on a bar on the Upper East Side and walked in there around 10 a.m. And there was a guy there like waiting for the doors to open saying, this is one of my favorite days of the year. I said, oh, you're a big running fan? He said, no. I'm a big drinking fan. There's only like five days a year where it's socially acceptable to drink before 12 noon. St. Patrick's Day was one. New York City Marathon Day is two. Robert, I think so. that's a fascinating idea for a story. I probably wouldn't do it because I'm usually at the press center covering the, the elite races, but I'd love to read a story one day on someone who just goes to one of those bars on First Avenue where it's incredibly loud in Manhattan. And what is it like watching the race and then asking some of those people, do you know anything about running? Like, could you name one person in this year's race? Tell me what you know about New York City Marathon. Like, see if any of them have any concept of what's happening or they're just there for the party and to get shit-faced at 10 a.m. because it's socially acceptable. I think normally, you know, they have like a roommate or a coworker running and tracking them. By the way, you mentioned club nets. You didn't say that Amanda Vessery of Zap Endurance was the women's winner. This is the Syracuse runner that I was, every time I interviewed her last year, she's like, I want to be a pro. I think I made for the marathon. Good find for Zap. No offense to Zap, but I thought this woman might get a bigger deal. I mean, yeah, great for Amanda Vestry to win that race, though I am a little worried, Weldon, if she starts, if she really does turn into a good marathoner, we're going to hear the same thing that we hear about Robert whenever he talks about Emily Sisson. Well, back when she was in college, her coach Ray Tracy told me she'd be a good marathoner. And then just every time she gets brought up on the pod these days, that anecdote's repeated. Ty Dinger was your men's winner. By the way, John misspoke earlier. He'll be turning 29 at the trials. This is not true. This is fake news. Unlike you, I'm secure about my age. I don't, and also 33 isn't really that old in the grand scheme of things. So I I actually will be 33. I'm not going to be like whatever Robert, age Robert decides he is when he wakes up in the morning. John, I was trying to open up a new subset of possibilities for you. Half your age plus seven. I didn't want to rule out 21, 22. Now that's going to be socially unacceptable. Speaking of Zap, my little turkey trot, I tried to downplay the competitive aspects of it. We had a former Zap runner win the women's race. Joanna Thompson. There was, there was some, not concern, but I told her beforehand, I was like, you might win this whole thing. So my race could be very pioneering. What percent of races have a woman win them outright? Less than 1%. So if you want to be famous, come to the Rewaitin Turkey Trot. You're like a 1630 woman. You probably win it. Wait, did you guys have, when you entered, did it say sex or gender? If it said gender, I'm going to be irate. We, wow, it's interesting you asked this. I swear, right after we set up the thing, I got an email almost immediately from the previous race director asking that we enable the non-binary division. And it, says gender so this isn't my race you know i'm just helping direct it i reached out to the committee i recommended 
for inclusivity that we checked the box. So we had the non-binary option. And then somebody sent me a, a link. There's some website. I'd, I'd seen it before, essentially saying that you should have equal prizes and everything. We really don't have prizes. We have gift certificates for the winners. But she was going down that rabbit hole. And I said, look, run sign up. The only option is gender. I don't think uh, I explained to her. I was like, look, I think they really should ask somebody's sex. That's the relevant category. But for whatever reason, run sign up doesn't do that. They ask their gender. So I think that's something that these race portals should clean up. Because then you could just ask sex. You could still have a non-binary division if somebody wants to identify. But for prizes, you could do it based on sex. Um, but anyway. I can't believe we waited this long to get to probably one of the more interesting results from last week. Kalakaua, Kaui, Mary Mile, a road mile in Honolulu the day before the Honolulu Marathon. The field was absolutely loaded. I mean, this would be almost like Diamond Lake quality. Yared Nagus, Hobbs Kessler, Mario Garcia Romo, Jordy Beamish, Neil Gorley, Bryce Hopple, Olympic champion Matthew Sinchwitz, Mason Furlick, Nikki Hiltz, Nozumi Tanaka, the Japanese record holder, Danny Jones, Ellie St. Pierre coming back from maternity leave. And the women were racing. The men and women got a head start. They only paid prize money. It was just the top four across the line. Top three were men. Yared Nagus wins it. Does not break Hops Kessler's world record. His first road race, 356.58. Vince Seattle, 356.81. Kessler thought he kicked a little too early. He said 357.12. Beatles come 358. Nikki Hiltz, 428.07. Oh. What do we make of this? John's going to say it's crazy to make too much of this. I don't think it is. To me, the first race of the season is always kind of very interesting. It's like, where are people starting at? Have they made a big breakthrough? Et cetera. I have some takeaways on this race, but if I share them without asking you guys first, you guys won't look good. So I'll let you share your subpar takes. And then I've got three big takeaways here. All right, my first takeaway is it's a road mile on December 10th that featured a 180-degree turnaround. I'm not reading into these results at all. I expect Yard Nagus to win because he's fitter than all these other guys all the, at all other points of the year, but you, you're telling me that Vincent Ciardi, who was second in this race, is a better miler than Mario... Like. Well, he's, you're not going to tell me he's better miler than Mario Garcia Romo, but Mario Garcia Romo, a guy who's been like fourth and sixth in the last two world championships, was fifth in this race. I'm, I'm not reading into these results basically at all. Well, then, do you have any takes? No, no takes. Although, is this the last race in the world that isn't on the internet? I was trying to find a video clip of the finish somewhere. Can't find it. Wait, what did Cent wait? If I'm gonna do a take, this means nothing. But what did Centro run? Okay, so was, there we go. He was lost in four oh three. Well, he was last of, no, he was not. He was next to last for the men. Mason Froick is two hundreds back. Not according to the results we have on the Let's Run homepage. 
Well, I'm looking at Race Results Weekly. By the way, Race Results Weekly, which is normally extremely accurate, and the results in their write-up are different than what's on the website. So, But the website had didn't have Vincent Ciotti second. It had him first. So <laughs> I would probably go with Race Results Weekly over the own race website. Look, David Monte wrote us, Robert, said the official results using FAT are not on the race website. They're here. And he sent us a link. So when in doubt, go with David Monte. All right, Robert, you go ahead and offer your takes. I just want to say two things. This is a road mile that many of these athletes, I'm sure, just view as a vacation where they have to put in four minutes of work. Two, the season doesn't start in December, middle of December. The first time I really start to pay attention to anything is the end of January. So those are my two caveats. Now go ahead. I guess I'll start negative, and I hate to say it. I really hate to say it. But I was looking for, like, I think Central ran this race last year. What are you running it? He ran the same time, 4.03, he finished ninth. I hate to say it. Centrowitz is done. My God. Multi-time medalist, Olympic champion. I'd love for him to be in the hunt, but I, I just, I know he doesn't need to be in shape in December, but I would like to see some progress, and I'm not saying it. I mean, he ran the same time as Neil Gawley, who was the British champion this year, who made the world championship final. That was my negative overreaction. On the positive note, I thought I was pleased. I mean, I guess Vincent Ciotti was battling for the win here, but, you know, he doesn't even normally make the U.S. final. But I was pleased that Hobbs Kessler was in this race, trying to take it to Kessler. And, I mean, Ciotti said afterwards, like, I, I, I need to think I can play with these, compete with these top guys in the world. Like, there was no fear from Kessler. I loved it. So I thought it was a good race for him, you know, despite the third place finish. And then, to be honest, Ellie St. Pierre, coming back from attorney leave, as was Rachel Smith, by the way, Mike Smith's wife. They run 431 and 432. Smith's not really even a miler. It's not where I wanted to see St. Pierre, but I'm just pleased to see her on the starting line. She needs more time. But unlike Centrowitz, I'm not worried. Like she's healthy. If she's healthy on December, as young as she is, give her eight months, seven months. And I think she's going to be a big player at the Olympic trials. Robert, you do realize she ran 423 at the Fifth Avenue Mile in September. I did not realize that, but still confirms my point, John. She'll be ready to go. Well, you're not worried? She's nine seconds slower. She's not trending in the right direction, according to you. You're right in the sense, John, you don't need to be in shape in this race, but I'm trying to read through these things without knowing much. I mean, if this is just the starting point for Centro, and then he goes to Europe, but, I mean, goes to Australia maybe, and it gets better. Let's see here what he did last year, John. He went to Australia and he ran terrible last year. And then he ended up making the U.S. final. He improved, but he didn't get to the level he usually gets to at USA's. I'm not totally... Look, there will come a time to write off Matthew Centrowitz, probably. I mean, you know, that guy's so good, though. I feel like even writing him off ever is, is a bad idea. You know, at some point, he's going to fade. But it's not after running 
403 at the Merry Mile in December. That's not the race that's going to be like, oh, that's it. He's done. I mean, this is a guy who ran 406 in the mile in Melbourne and like 154 in 800 or 152. I mean, something terrible in the 800. And then he was running 336 and making the final at USA's. This is not the time to write off Matthew Centrowitz. Small correction, John. Centrowitz did make the U.S. final this year. I said he made the U.S. final. Okay. And you're probably right about writing off an Olympic champion. Because I remember in 2021, we actually, on this podcast, I know there was a YouTube cup because I saw it recently. April 2021, Matthew Centrowitz ran 150.97 in 800. And we were debating if he was done. A month later, he ran 146. A month later, he made the Olympic team, was second in the trials. A few weeks after that, he was so confident he went for the American record in the mile. Only ran 349.26. So he's only two and a half years removed from the 349.26. Well, don't put, the, don't put this part out on the internet. Might look like a fool. Although if it comes true, then I look like a genius. See, this is the problem. Do I really believe it or am I just making up arguments for argument's sake? I don't know, John. Both arguments are equally compelling to me. This is why I need to be a mediator in life. All right, we need to get out of here. The show's been going on forever. Congratulations to the three men in Japan that broke their national record in the men's 10,000 at the Japanese 10,000-meter championships. John was on me saying, do we really care what happened there? To me, it's interesting, and it just shows you how it's just a, a new ball game in terms of times. I mean, Akira Aizawa had run 27-18.75. He was the national record holder. He crushes his own national record by more than five seconds, yet he's only the third Japanese in this race. Kazuwa Shiojiri, who is a steeplechaser, runs 27.09.80, the first Japanese guy under 27.10. And what's interesting is a lot of the Japanese guys weren't even in this race. Like, they had run a 10,000 a few weeks ago. The, the teen phenom they have, um, Kitasato. Ran 27.28 two weeks ago. So Brett Lorner of Japan Running News said it best. Like the sub-27 from Japan is coming pretty soon. Well, two things about this race. One, they let track they let fans onto the track in some of the outer lanes, which I think is great. And Brett Lana was saying, I think it was someone on Twitter was talking to Brett Lana or Brett Lana suggested it. What if they let what if they do this at the world championships? in 2025 when Tokyo hosts letting fans onto the track would it make for a better atmosphere I'm not opposed to that idea I think it's kind of cool if it's the last event of the day that sort of thing the other question I have for you guys they used Wavelight in this this is a national championship race but they used Wavelight to chase fast times probably with the Olympics in mind trying to improve their ranking or get close to the auto standards what are your thoughts on Wavelight in a national championship. I was about to go a hard no, John, but being a former 10,000 meter runner who got fourth of the country twice, hoping to get top three and never hit the Olympic standard. The standard is so important. I think only allowed in the 10K. Is this really a question? First of all, it's not like top three win and you go. So I don't, I don't have a problem with it. 
what I have a problem with, if this was a true national championship, I don't have a problem with the wave line. Okay. If you want the standard, there's the time, go get it. What I would have the problem with was they had the, the rabbiting was perfect. They had a bunch of Japanese. I mean, they had a bunch of Kenyans who are based in Japan rabbit this thing out perfectly. And by the way, we saw the same pacing strategy we saw in BU. If you want to run 2710, you don't run it at 2710 pace. They ran at 2720 pace. And just in the 10K, you can get 10 seconds in the last 600. Just slam it home. And in the women, three or four women broke 31 minutes. They now have the most. Um, you know, they had the same number of women under 31 this year as the U.S. I think it's like four. But so the rabbiting, John, is the bigger uncompetitive, unnational championship type thing that would be the physical rabbit to me is more interesting. And this stat from Brett Lerner is absolutely amazing to me. There's 37 Japanese men that have broken 28 minutes. So there's just like they're very good at running like 208 in the marathon, 2735 in the 10,000. But they're not great at running fast and shorter distances, running under 27 minutes, running under 206. But only one other country has more men under 28 minutes. And that's Kenya, which is not a surprise. But this stat is crazy to me. There's 58 Kenyans that have done it. Guess how many of those Kenyans are based in Japan? Like the ones that have ever done it? This year. Oh, 58 Kenyans have broken 28 minutes this year. Um, I'm betting it's a bunch because you're asking about it. And also the fact that some of the Kenyan-based Kenyans, there aren't many 10,000s on the track to run them. So I'm going to say it's like 34. It's 49. Wow. There's 49 Kenyans in Japan that can run under 28. Like, how do they get all the, that's crazy to me. But I, I think the more I think about it, it makes sense. Like if you're a 2730 Kenyan, it's a hard way to make a living. What are you going to do? Travel over the world and pick up $3,000 here, $5,000 there, $2,000 there. Well, if you're going to do that, you're going to run road races. You're not going to run track 10,000s. There's no money in the track 10,000. Well, I know, but it's even, even if you are running roads, it's hard to do it. you got to go over the world. If you're hurt, you're not going to do it. Or you could go to Japan. Either the university is going to put you on the team or the company is going to pay you. You can have a solid life or struggle to find a job in Kenya or struggle to, to make money on the roads. But I, I was just stunned by how many there were. Okay, enough of Robert's fetishes. Obscure national records. Although Japan's not obscure. I think I said I would do this. I don't know. I think I made some bold promise if I didn't do it, but it's too late now for anyone to call me out on that. The best thing in running. We'll end with the best thing in running. I hadn't seen this till now, but this is really good in the candidate. They've started retesting frozen samples in the 2016 Rio Olympics. If that doesn't get your blood flowing, I mean, wow. Gives me a tingly sensation up my line. I hope they bust people left and right. Thought about that. Thought about just praising everything with the Honolulu Marathon and Mile. You know, maybe if they saw the clip, they'd invite me out next year. But no, you can't be self-interested like this. The best thing in running. Brought to you by Drink Element. Go to letsrun.com slash drink today. The electrolytes without the junk. Remember, grapefruit salt 
it's available year round now. In the winter, I highly recommend it. Even if you hate grapefruit like me, it's the best electrolyte flavor ever. The best thing in running this week is Caitlin Tui going pro with Adidas. Kind of take it for granted how great her collegiate career was now, but I remember having a debate on this very podcast. Would Caitlin Tui over under half an NCAA title? Would she win one, even one? And uh, someone's got to find the clip. I'm not sure what we said, but I think we did say if she goes over one, she might get four or five, something like that, which she did. And now she's making a lot of money running professionally. Doesn't always happen to these high school phenoms. And as poster Flojo said on the forums, she's very happy. It's got 169 upvotes, zero downvotes. Who says they're not positivity and let's run? Not a surprise. Congratulations to her. Well-deserved. She looks so happy in her Instagram photos. Onward and upward. So Caitlin Tui, going pro with Adidas. The best thing in running this week. Oh, Robert. Well, I was a little worried when you mentioned best thing in running. You said Rio 2016 samples being retested. I thought you were going to talk about the return of 2016 Olympic steeplechase champion Ruth Jebet of Bahrain, who her doping ban is now expired and she's running marathons. She ran 223 and won a marathon in Turkey over the weekend. So I'm glad you didn't go in that direction. I don't have a vote in this, but I would have voted for Axel Van Christensen outkicking Niels Laros. But Caitlin Tui, the Caitlin Tui story is cool. It's a nice moment for her making it as a pro. I'm excited to see what she's going to do in 2024. I think Weldon made a great point. I mean, we're taking it for granted. But the high school phenoms that go into great pros as women. It's the exception. It's not the rule. Yeah. I mean, Molly Seidel, Sarah Hall, Jordan, just to say briefly. I mean, same with the men. But John, you referred to the beginning of the show to Ruth Jebet as a doper. When when Shelby Houlihan returns, are you going to refer to her as a doper? I mean, Shelby Houlihan was convicted of a doping offense. I don't believe she intentionally doped. I'm far more likely to believe that Ruth Jebet, who was banned for EPO, intentionally doped. But you you can't. It's a fact. Shelby was banned for a doping offense. While you guys were talking about Hussein and whatnot. I was reading the Jabet doping case. I mean, she basically ratted out the people that she was working with. She said she was in Azerbaijan and, or wherever she was, and then they told her to bring these vials back or these packages back, these vitamins back, and then they injected her. Like She asked what they were. They said they were vitamins. I don't know. Her excuse was, they gave me stuff. I didn't know it was drugs. And honestly, like that may seem hard to believe. Maybe she didn't write, ask the right questions, but I can see someone being sort of unsophisticated and just not asking questions in the same way that when Alberto Salazar was giving out massages, we know that his masseuse said he gave him a night out. And I, I next time I see Kara Goucher, next time I see Galen Rupp, next time I would see Dathan Ritzenheim, I want to ask them, did Alberto ever give you a massage? Did you ever ask them what he's well, rubbing on you? They would go, people would go see Dr. Brown and he would inject them and say this is in the legal limit and i think some of the injections weren't in the legal limit so i totally think people can be doped without knowing what's going on that's why you gotta 
Pick who you associate with. You guys can associate with us twice a week instead of once a week. Join the Let's Run.com supporters club. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. You'll get a second podcast every week. I think nothing's going on in the running world right now. We'll start breaking down the year. Those are always some of the looking ahead to 2024. Those are always some of the best podcasts. Join today. You save on running shoes. You can save 20% on every running shoe, new running shoe, full price running shoe you buy right now. Great deal. I can't wait till our predictions. I mean, Weldon nailed his 2023 prediction. If you listen in January, he told you Shakari Richardson was going to win the 100 meter world title this year. So see what Nostradamus has in store for 2024. And we'll give out our awards. Unlike World Athletics, I don't think we're going to split our awards in three. We'll have a world runner of the year and or an athlete of the year or something. Safan Hassan's, I'm going to give Safan Hassan some sort of award because she deserves it for what she did this year. So, yeah, still got some good year-end coverage coming up on the site. And as always, thank you. If you're a member of the Supporters Club, we appreciate your support. Thank you to the millions of listeners we've had over the years, as Robert said at the start of the show. We appreciate every single one of them. We'll be back later this week with the Friday 15, talking more track.